0: Lock Talk Radio Five,
1: Four, Three, Two, One. Don't want to be an
2: American idiot. This means that Donald Trump will be the forty fifth President of the United States. Now it's time for your political menage et toi. Join Lisa O'Brien, Sean Castleberry, and Brad Hicks. They are the American idiots, and it starts now.
1: Oh,
2: you were finished. Oh, well, allow me to retort. And we are here. It is uh, snowing here outside the Sub Ohms Vapors Studios here at Talk Radio 49 in the beautiful city of Northwood Rock. Now, special show tonight. I know that we've had the uh, Rodney Reed case last week. Uh, tonight, just by chance, kind of, um, I don't know. It, it's really interesting to me. I was perusing Facebook the other day, like I do a lot, and we had an incident uh, last weekend or maybe the weekend before last where a young man, 17-year-old kid named C.J. Smith, was shot and killed by the police. Now, the video was released by the police department showing this young man uh this troubled teenager uh who had pulled a gun so justifiably so and and that's where this gets interesting for our listening audience because i know we're all really quick to judge so i'm going through this post and i stumble upon this post i'm going to read you this post because it's impacted me a lot um it kind of made me think um and we're going to get into that but this gentleman that we have on the show tonight mr bill allen posted this he goes cj smith but for the grace of god there i go in 1984 while living in dallas texas the police came into an apartment i was in looking for me realizing that neither of the two officers had a gun drawn i went for mine unlike cj's gun mine was a revolver and the hammer got stuck in my pocket as i was trying to draw my weapon The two officers immediately wrestled me to the ground, took my gun from me, and arrested me. I spent the next 27 years incarcerated for armed robberies committed in two states. I was released five years, 364 days ago, on January 13, 2012. I have no doubt, had my event happened in today's world, I would have been killed, and very likely people would be saying, oh well, we didn't lose much. Don't really know what my point is other than I personally feel that I have accomplished much from that date in 1984. I love and I am loved. And I guess in the scope of things, that is all that really matters. So maybe I do have one additional point. Perhaps we shouldn't be so quick to judge. Perhaps there are many people that said, as I did today. Oh, well, we didn't lose much. Only after I had said it, did the parallels between Mr. Smith and myself hit me squarely in the face. Now, What was interesting was I opened a chat dialogue with Mr. Bill Allen, and uh, I didn't realize that I had talked to the gentleman beforehand, Sean and Lisa, welcome in. And I didn't realize, Sean and Lisa, that I had talked to this gentleman before as we were talking during the the prep session about his drones. And I mean, honestly, it's it's like you talk to people and you don't understand or, or know that much about them on social media. You, it's just what you hear, and I thought it would be an appropriate topic, but come to find out, as you guys have both known, y'all have gotten the book, uh, eight uh, Speed Trap, 80 Robberies in 50 Years by Bill Allen. I suggest anybody go pick this up. Lisa, you said you could get it on Kindle. I believe you can order it at All right. Amazon.com, um, All right. BarnesandNoble.com, and a few other places, if you Google Speed Trap, 80 Robberies in 50 Years by Bill Allen. You will definitely be able to purchase yourself a copy. Very affordable, very small book. You won't, you know, it doesn't take you forever to read it. But the impact of this book so far on myself it has been absolutely incredible listening to Bill's story, Sean.
1: Yes, it is an incredible story. And it's an interesting read as well. Uh, 150 pages. I did the first 80 yesterday. I finished it up today. And you know, the best part about it for me is that it actually read more like a novel than than a biography. So it, it was extremely interesting and insightful as far as you know what what went through his mind during the time and you know everything else that he went through. It, it, I, I definitely recommend this book for everybody. It was really good.
2: Absolutely, I mean, you know, you look at the way they describe this. Uh, it says Alan describes the exhilaration of his youthful rule breaking behavior as well as the crushing reality that followed. Lisa, before we bring Bill in, your take on the book so that so far, I know you said you have not been able to finish it, but you've just not been able to put it down either.
0: No, I haven't. I read uh, until about one thirty or 2.00 last night. I, I didn't get it until around 11 o'clock. And then I've been reading it all day today. And it is, it's fascinating. It's, uh... It's kind of funny because you see some glimmers of a change in attitude, but then you see some of the old, uh, when he's talking about the, the attitude before, uh, of, you know, like somebody snitches on him, they're the bad guy, not him for what he did, and coming to realize that he needs to change the way he thinks about things and looks at life, and I'm in, I'm in that portion of the story now but it is
2: it's fascinating i mean i've the 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 small bit that i've read and i haven't had a whole lot of time to read it as you can tell i've been working a lot on show prep and and the new intro and things of that nature but uh, you know just having met with him sunday for a little bit um was so ready to put this show on especially amidst what we've been going through so Let's not hold it up any longer. We're gonna welcome on the in, into the Sub Ohms Vapors studio over the Sub Ohm's Vapors hotline. Bill Allen. Mr. Allen, are you with us?
3: Yes I am. How are y'all doing?
2: I'm I'm doing great and um a little bit of snow out here in the uh, in the south. Uh, you know, we're just kinda of getting accustomed to this weather as it will be sixty five this weekend. So, <laughs> uh,
3: yeah, we're Lisa's to recovering that from
2: a, Lisa's recovering from her date with the Minnesota Vikings.
3: Yeah. Hey, that was astounding, wasn't it? Yes, it
0: was. Yes. It was. <laughs> um, my sister blames it all on Sean Payton. <laughs> she said he should have run out the clock.
3: Well. They did score too quick.
0: Yeah.
2: So Bill, Bill, we we talked about in before the show went on the air. Um and and obviously I read the the Facebook post that that caught my attention. And when I reached out for you so, you know, I, your thoughts on the CJ um CJ Smith's situation and then and then the parallel that you experienced from your own situation.
3: Well, you know, I was watching the news when they, when they released the the footage, the dash cam footage from from the officer's vehicle uh about the CJ Smith incident. Uh I I I watched it, saw exactly what he did. It did not strike me as anything that had gone on in my life. Uh it was not until the next day when they were going through all the the robberies that he's been charged with and and so forth that that I turned to my wife and I said we didn't lose much well the fact of the matter is it was my wife that slapped me upside the face with the with the uh, statement of but for the grace of God there go you uh and and immediately an incident in Dallas Texas the evening I got arrested came to mind and I just thought that if that incident it happened in today's time, with the way things are, with as scared as officers are, and 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 all these arrests that go so crazy, uh, they wouldn't have taken those extra steps to cross the room and knock me to the ground and wrestle my gun from me. They would have just shot me, and but that didn't happen, and and I was allowed to grow up, and there's there's not any anything. In my past, that that I will defend. Uh, there, I was I was a bad guy. I would have had had the police in Dallas shot me that day, and they reported it on the news. People would have been right to say we didn't lose much because there wasn't there hadn't been much lost. Uh, but I I was allowed to grow up, and after after growing up in prison for 27 years i actually changed and who's to say that cj smith wouldn't have changed too nobody knows that uh and it just that just really hit me
2: man um you know just actually just hearing that you know that's uh the, the goosebumps that just came up just in that statement there. I mean, that's a very powerful statement that you made. And I want to ask you this, and I don't want to, you know, if you don't feel comfortable answering the question, obviously I, I can completely understand, and then I'll throw it to the floor to Sean and Lisa for any questions as well. But, I you know, you, you talk about the situation today and back then, and, and I want to ask you, do you – if you were face-to-face in the room with uh, somebody – that was close to cj smith and they made maybe they said to you well and i I i'm really trying to figure out how to phrase this but do you could you draw any correlation to any kind of racial equality by the reason that maybe they took the time to do that with you you know because that seems to be the narrative in in a lot of news stories that you see is and it it go and i and i don't mean to, to push any boundaries i mean but you hear you know well uh, if it was a white kid, then they would have took their time to have him arrested. Um, I mean, what's your thought on that? If you even want to have one on that.
0: Well,
3: you know, it's. I've never, i never even thought about it in, in that light. Um, I, I, I honestly believe, in today's time, that had had. That same event happened with with officers today. I believe nine out of ten officers would have drawn their guns and shot me before they even tried to cross the room, okay. regardless of my color.
2: Sean, you have anything? Um, you know,
1: I guess it just depends on the
3: the situation.
1: Uh, It it was Wasn't it FBI agents that actually Arrested you in Dallas
3: No that was not FBI that was The Dallas police that was the Dallas metro police Uh, I was arrested by the FBI in San Francisco Yeah
1: okay there okay so that's Where I got that confused two two
3: different arrests There was there was Hmm. there was no attempt To draw a gun or do anything else When the FBI got me They were they were just there
1: Understood Um I mean, again, it, I guess it all depends on the officers themselves
3: and the situation. Yeah, you know, and,
1: anybody can or... I,
3: I, I don't want to. I don't. I'm not trying. I'm not trying to say that that officers are, are trigger happy or anything else. Uh, uh, Lord, they, they they have a right to be scared. Uh, they. I mean, all the crazy stuff. People hunting officers uh, out there. You know they put their lives on a line every day, and I think that I think that times have evolved and and the way the uh events have evolved and and so many so many times man, an officer just pulls somebody over for a speeding ticket, and the next thing he knows he's getting he's getting uh automatic taking automatic weapon fire um uh, you know so they have a right to be scared i so I'm not trying to say that they're 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 trigger happy or anything else i just think that's it's the way that things have changed
0: definitely you're you're definitely correct well i would and say that the police have
1: always happened. had a, a, a an element of danger in their job i mean if you look back in chicago during al capone's days you know they were out to kill the police and, and try to get away um this this isn't anything new as far as you know people trying to do what they can to get away um absolutely The media, though, does sensationalize when minorities are shot by the police, and they do project that out more than, say, white victims that are shot by the police, because you hardly hear about white victims that are shot by the police, It's normally black or Latino or, you know, another minority. And, you know, that's the sad truth of it, you know, because the media is going to put that story out there that sells and makes them, you know, the money that they need to Continue doing these types of stories
3: I, And, and yeah, I agree I 100%
0: there, Sean.
3: <laughs> What's that?
0: I actually agree with you on that I think the media does capitalize It's a minority uh, Involved in a police shooting whether, well, they're, I mean, it's, whether they're killed Or whether they're just wounded
1: Yeah, I mean it's just like in, you know Everyday advertising, sex sells so that's why you see, you know, Carl Jr. having the girl in the bikini selling a hamburger. Uh, you know, violence against minority sells. You know, that's just the big I, thing that's happening right now.
0: I, I think another part of, of what they do is they're very critical of how the police handled it. And they could have handled but, it and should have handled it differently. But they never look at the, the actions of the individual who was trying to evade being arrested.
1: I know, and... and not everybody has well, been into that
0: actions. situation. Those are the actions well, are common to... how police Go ahead, are Brad. react.
2: Well here's Go
1: here's ahead, what Brad. I
0: wanted to
2: ask I want to ask Bill. Um, obviously probably not by, you know, favorable choice did you want to be an expert on, on arresting and whatnot. But I wanted to ask you, there's been some talk about the uh, procedure that the police took in that C.J. Smith case. Um, I, I want to go back to they were saying now that the police department should have had the young man in handcuffs. I mean, I don't, I'm I don't know police procedure very well at all. Um, you know, just you, should they? I mean, obviously, you know, it's. I don't think any of us are. Qualified to make that to to make to answer this appropriately, but I just wondered: is there your your thoughts on the whole? Should he have been in handcuffs, or, or was there anything that could have circumvented this this horrible outcome that that occurred?
3: Well, i I think that <clears throat> I think the officer did an excellent job. He, he seemed like he was trying to be engaging and keep the keep everything low key. Uh, I mean, he was even talking about his shoes and stuff. And when uh, CJ made mention that he had some weed on him, the officer was making light of it, and and that's that's that was to keep the, uh, Mr. Smith calm. You know, if the officer started started coming down on him real strong right then, uh, Mr. Smith might might react. Uh, is is it what I'm sure the officer was probably thinking. Uh, the things that concerned me about what I saw about that video and their procedure. And, again, I'm not an expert, and this is just my opinion, but the, there was two officers that you could see. One of them was standing with his back to the camera and had supposed to search those first two victims, two people that were sitting on the on the curb. Uh, he didn't do a very good job of searching them. Like he was lucky that they didn't have weapons too um i think i think that that once once mr smith started doing all the reaching that he was doing that one of the two other officers should have closed in and and gotten closer and and more involved
1: No, I think you're absolutely right about that. I mean, when you look at any type of situation where a police officer has to pull someone over, they don't know what's going to happen, and they have to be extremely cautious. And watching this video, you know, that police officer was extremely professional. He he was being, you know, even lighthearted at times, you know, kidding around with the guys and everything, trying to make sure that they were relaxed. He didn't do anything wrong uh, that I could see, Um, you know, because before – the video was released. You know, I had a different opinion. I had talked to some of the family members. I had talked to friends of his. Even one of his teachers. They were saying he was such a good kid. No one could understand why this happened. And some of the stories that that you know were going around with that he was on the ground with his arms raised and that he was shot in cold blood. And you know, this video proved that to be wrong. And it you know quieted down a lot of the you know, play as far as people trying to accuse the police of wrongdoing. Um, As far as I'm concerned, the police did everything that they possibly could, except they lost control of the actual suspect once he got to the ground and pulled the gun. But again, in that situation, you don't know what's going to happen. And, you know, you're going to react how you're going to react. That's why they give the police the the leeway to use lethal force in these types of situations.
2: And, Sean, I think another thing that... that bears mentioned is that it's kind of like watching just going back real quick just for an analogy just it's kind of like watching the game yesterday with the saints and the vikings it's easy for me and you and, and lisa and michael back michael to monday um, you know monday morning quarterback the situation Well he could have done this obviously in the heat of the moment the fact that to be honest with you i think that the, there was some form of intervention, whether it be divine or however you want to describe it, and whatever you believe in that the, that the pistol jammed because that police officer you know the the thing that caught me about the whole video bill, is that you do see the taser come out first it was the first instinct was not to pull their pistols as you've seen what appears to be in other videos like in Minnesota and and, and, and Baton Rouge. They did go for the non-lethal force, and that didn't. Apparently, it did not work. Or he is so much adrenaline because I believe in the state of Arkansas, if you are caught with marijuana and a firearm, you there's a simultaneous charge that becomes a felony at that point. And obviously, with his rap sheet, the being what it was, he you, you could hear him. In fact, that was the most heartbreaking thing to me was him yelling i can't go to jail I
3: can't go back to um, yeah
2: you know and that that tells me that somewhere inside that young man there was fear there was uh, you know that decent human being that would not have done what he did um why he did what he did we'll never probably ever know because we can't ask him now because he's gone but you know <laughs> You know, Monday morning quarterback and Lisa, Sean, and Bill, we could sit back and watch that video all day because we're in the comfort of our own home or on our phone. We don't have a pistol, have been fired twice. And to be honest, the police officer that stared that in the face, I mean, we're talking a gun jam away, kind of like in Bill's situation, right. you know, a hammer getting stuck on a clothes, a microscopic inch, uh, a moment in time away from you know, having a really bad situation occur.
0: Right. And, you know, I was, uh, I, when I watched the video, it looked like they were taking them one at a time, searching them, cuffing them. They put the first two uh, passengers over on the sidewalk, and then they were searching uh, Mr. Smith. And that was all off camera, so we couldn't see that. But, I, you know, I kept hearing officers saying, you know, don't be reaching like that. Don't be reaching like that. It's okay. You know, we're just going gonna to get this done and things like that. And this kid just freaked out, it sounds like. He could have also easily shot one of his passengers.
1: Well, it actually looked like he point, did discharge the weapon towards two of his friends.
0: Yeah, and, yeah. you know,
1: one of them even got up and took off running, which I don't blame that kid at all. You know, somebody's you know, going to have a gun go off around me. I'm going to take off, too.
0: Yeah, but uh, you know, I think that they were doing the best that they could to keep the situation calm. And I, I really think do. That they I were th- in the I... process of searching him, and when they, when he knew he was, they were going to find the gun. That's when he freed.
1: Yeah, and and, 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 and he did. He...
0: Or or any of those shows. That's what happens. Is they seem fine, and then you're about to find something, and all hell breaks loose.
1: Yeah, I would definitely agree with that because this this kid definitely lost all mental control that he had at that point and just freaked out.
0: And he was with the being out on bond; he would have gone back to prison, or he would have gone back to jail to await,
3: well, you know, on let, whatever let me, his charges let me, were. Let me interject something here too. Is is that because from from my personal experience, I know that that you know he was saying, "I I I, I can't go to jail," is that's a kind of a mantra that you're telling yourself all the time. If this situation right. comes up, you know, you're carrying a gun for a reason. And, and right. you're telling right. yourself, if this situation comes up, this is how I'm going to react. And, and, mm-hmm. and that's going through your head all the time. And then all of a sudden when those situations come up you react. Yeah.
0: Well, um, Bill, and that, you? That,
1: that was something that was interesting in your book that I read that, you know, when you decided to commit, you know, the robberies, it was already a done deal. Done.
3: Yeah, it was done exactly.
1: Yeah. I I found that yeah. to be extremely interesting in the book. But
0: uh, at least in San Francisco, luckily you didn't you didn't try and do that well, when the FBI so, came.
3: Up. When 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 the FBI came, there was there was nothing to do. They they were so fast and professional, and they were just there. And I mean, yeah. coming up out of stairwells and and that, they were just there. Uh, there was yeah. nothing I could have done. It, it, had I it had, had anything, I, I couldn't have done anything.
2: Right. And obviously a, a different day and time, you know, too, Bill. I mean, I don't know how long, I mean, from the time that you were actually pinned as the, because the, uh, I I apologize, I haven't had a chance to read, but, you know, when you were pinned as the suspect or the wanted man, you know, today's day and age, they can flash your picture just about anywhere: uh, <laughs> social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, MySpace, TV couch, whatever you want to, You know, I'm sure there's something, and it's everywhere. Back in in the '80s, you know you you had to rely on you know print and or the the news media, and that didn't travel as as much as it did. So, you know, I
3: no, it's I it's it's humorous uh, now to think about it. Which, which is is really a, a a kind of a good lead into to a a story that's in the book it's at the very start of the book. If you'd like to hear it.
1: Well, I know yeah, I know myself. I, I found it fascinating how you were able to go from Arkansas to San Diego, then down to Miami, then back to San Francisco, <laughs> and travel the entire country by the use of a credit card. And you know, you, you mentioned that it was this Visa. And, you know, you think about it back then, we didn't have the internet, we didn't have everything that we do now. So you could do, you could just run the card and, and keep going. And, you know, most people aren't going to call and check on these cards and things like that. They're, they were, they were more trusting and, you know, society was just different back then. And, you know, I, that, that just blew my mind, you know, cause I was a child back then and, I didn't know anything about any of that stuff. And, you know, I'm reading this book and thinking, wow, what a time to live that you could just take one card and do all of that. Fifteen thousand dollars worth of charges. and just You, you crisscross the country like twice. They, that, that was amazing.
2: Well, Sean, do you not yeah, remember, remember? You got to remember back then, too. They took your credit card. They stuck it on this little deal and it had a carbon copied paper and they run that little thing across.
1: Exactly. There
2: wasn't there wasn't the instant instant access to the account, or let me push an F four key and report it as stolen. I mean, it took time. Exactly. And I think, you know, and so Bill, I mean, your your experiences with, why like, you know, in relation to that, in today's time, I'm sure. I'm. I mean, I don't. I can't say I'm sure, but, but do you ever think about you know what you did back then and how it would translate in today's society?
3: I, uh, you know, there's. <laughs> If I was trying to do the 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 stuff that I was doing back then, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't last but just a minute. Uh, I, mean, I mean, we we never would have made it out of Oklahoma back in nineteen eighty. Uh, you know, I, I thought the exact technology. same thing. You know? Yeah, yeah, I thought the exact same thing. Back in back in the seventies, uh, Tommy Robinson, the the sheriff, he used to set up deputies in in pharmacies uh behind two-way mirrors and and just waiting for me or one of my friends to come in there and, and rob the store uh, they 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 would have all this they with so many cameras and everything i wouldn't even be able to stake out a drug store anymore without them being all over me
1: That's yeah funny. it is
3: amazing how much
1: technology has changed in that time period. I mean, we're, we're talking about 35, 40 years since, since that career of yours started. And, uh, you know, that, that that was another thing I was going to ask you about too, when, when you were finally released, how much culture shock did you go through to, to realize what the internet was and how much
3: the world had actually changed? Well, you know, I was, I was fortunate in, in one aspect of this and, and that, my last number of years, the, the I was a trustee. I was released as a trustee on a 309 program to the Washington County Sheriff's Department, uh, which means I was still an Arkansas Department of Correction inmate, but I was uh, on, on a, in the custody of the sheriff in Washington County. Being that trustee down there in Washington mm-hmm. County for five years allowed me to get out among people and do some interacting and, and so forth. And, and I was aware of the Internet while I was in prison, of course, watching the news and everything, but we didn't have any access to it. I was a clerk, and, and it, was a, it was always a, a, a major uh, deal in prison to make sure that none of the clerks had any access to the Internet. But when I was released on three hundred nine, then I started having some limited access to the internet. I got to to use a cell phone. I, I I'd never seen a cell phone. Uh, when I started getting furloughs, I I learned how to put gasoline in a car. Um, it was there's there's quite a number of things that that really impacted me. Uh, the traffic traffic is atrocious now, even even in Little Rock com- compared to what I was used to uh if if, I'm if sure. people if people followed me as close and and stuff as uh, back then as they do now, I'd have been in a fight every day um uh, in traffic i i am just i'm amazed how people drive out here now um uh, and and I guess I've become one of them but yeah uh, yeah we all, yeah, that, we all yeah. have yeah <laughs> it was quite a bit of culture shock uh i can remember. Walking into Walmart with my mom on my first furlough, and this is 2001. I'm not sure how many years I've been in 19 years, something like that. And uh, uh, walked into Walmart, and then the, the colors assaulted me. I mean, it, it, the purples, the reds, the greens, yellows, pinks. I, I I hadn't been seeing anything but my blues and grays and white. Uh, what what, was, what did you think it, of them selling beer in Walmart? Uh, what made a bigger impact to me was was i i uh you know back in ironically the in prison back in the day they used to give us tobacco uh that was our pay for the week was a couple of packages of top tobacco and and a bar of soap and and then in 2000 they stopped the uh, inmates from being able to smoke tobacco, buy tobacco, or anything else in prisons. And so, in 2001, when I got my first furlough, I wanted a cigarette, and I went up to went into a store in Mountain View, and I want, ordered four packs of cigarettes. I figured that would last me my five day furlough. And I gave a lady a twenty dollar bill, and she handed me back some change. And I looked at her, and I said, "Wow." They gave me fifty years for that. I couldn't believe it cost that much money.
0: It's crazy how much yeah.
3: they 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 do cost. Yeah. Yeah, I I I asked somebody before I went on my first furlough. I said I asked them uh, somebody that had had just gotten in prison. I asked them what they charged in a uh, for a uh, pack of cigarettes in a, a cigarette machine now. <laughs> and he looked at me. He told me, he said, "Bill, they don't have cigarette machines anymore. They well, it's a machines. cigarette machine, right? <laughs> yeah, right.
0: <laughs> you can still, you can still find them at a dive bar. Oh yeah,
1: I yeah. Think you can go I'm to Vegas. I've
3: seen one. Oh,
1: yeah, if you go to Vegas down there on uh, Las Vegas Boulevard towards the uh, the north side of the city, you can actually still see some cigarette machines,
3: but they're like $8, $10 a pack, you know, at that point. It, it, it's insane. You probably have to yeah. search your driver's license or scan your driver's license or something. To... No, you just got to go to the bar and buy an $8 drink to get changed. <laughs> That's all.
1: Yeah. <laughs> No, uh, uh, no, getting back to the book, though, you, you, you mentioned several times uh, the monster, and, and that was fascinating because, like, myself personally, you know, uh, from from the age of 16 all the way until now, yeah, I smoked weed a few times. I never got into hard drugs or anything. I was always too scared of all that stuff. But uh, when, when you talked about that, it gave me, you know, new insight oh. as far as, like, addiction and things like that. And that last time that you did that oh. in prison oh. – I, I, I found that extremely uh, intriguing. As far as that, that was when you decided to quit doing
3: drugs altogether. Can you tell us more about that? The the monster that that was my addiction. You know, my, my addiction was was amphetamines, and amphetamines is not a physical addiction. There's there's no physical withdrawals uh, when when you stop using amphetamines. But what drove me was the knowledge of the feeling that it that gave shot. me that shot, that watermark yeah. that that that, that, oh, me. that shot that gave me that, that feeling that I wanted which was if any doctor would tell you that, that, that this is just absolutely crazy but w- what I was seeking was overamping was what they call overamping I mean, when you when you inject so much speed that it has an adverse effect on you a reverse effect on you uh i i that's that's what that's what i I strive for and that's what drove me into pharmacies and that's what had me pulling guns and 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 risking my life every day but when so so that's what that's what I would, that's what I would seek is is a, is a shot of speed so big that it would cross my eyes, that it would make me knock me down on the ground instead of making me get up and run around all over the place, and mm-hmm. and and pro- would probably just almost kill me, and and it would take several hours before I could get up and function again, but once I did, then I'm immediately back to cooking some more speed and, 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 and cooking, breaking more pills down to try to, to regain that, that, that shot again. And it was a never ending cycle and I'd do it for weeks. No sleep, yeah, no that eat, was, anything. That was another thing about the book
1: too, you know, not having personal experience with that. You know, I didn't know that people could just continuously keep shooting and keep shooting and keep shooting. And you talked about one period where you and your body you know, you spent 96 hours straight just shooting, uh, uh, the speed and and you wouldn't eat and everything. And I just, it was mind blowing to think about that and
3: and, and what drove you to do that. That, that, that feeling that I wanted. Um, and so, so when I went to prison, well, you know, there's drugs in prison, um, uh, a lot more than you think. Um, but it's very expensive, and you're never you're never gonna if you, if you're like to shoot shots like i like to shoot you're never going to get that kind of shot in prison uh i chased it i chased it for many years and then one day a friend of mine he 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 hit a lick on some some crystal meth and he gave me a gram of it he he owed me some money and he gave me a gram. And I I was just determined that I was going to get that shot out of this this gram of crystal meth, and and I went and got me a syringe, and I couldn't find a vein anywhere on my body to that I could in, stick a needle and 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 get a vein. My veins were s- still so bad. My veins are still so bad now, and I haven't shot dope in and. 25 years um, So I got a friend to, to inject me with it And I I fixed up The whole gram uh, in, a, in a very large fringe And had a very big needle And a friend was going to shoot me up In the back of my leg And he told me He said Bill this might kill you And I told him I didn't care Just go ahead I wanted to do it all And he shot that shot into me And I turned over and my eyes went cross, and drills started coming out of my mouth, and my heart started beating real fast and started beating real slow, and it was exactly what I'd wanted. It was what I'd been dreaming of for years, and I hated it. I hated it. I couldn't stand it. And, and, and I lay there, and, and I wasn't sure if I was going to live through that shot or not. But I lay there on a bed in prison, and I just swore to myself that if I lived through this shot, I'd never do another one. And I've and, never and, and you haven't wanted, since that day. Never have. Never, never even wanted to. Never. Yeah. It, it was like, it was like a fairy godmother came down and hit me with her magic wand on top of the head and just said, you, "You'll never do drugs again. You'll never want." I remember to. reading that. Yeah, I
1: remember reading that. And again, that was just. So insightful and fascinating, especially for people that haven't, you know, dealt with any of that. Uh, when I was a manager for National Home Center, uh, I had a guy that worked for me there, and he was telling me when he was in prison and work release, he made more money selling cigarettes and dope inside the prison yeah. than he did working for me. And I that, that, that uh-huh. blew my mind back then. Yeah. No,
3: Interesting.
2: Say the interesting side note to all of that when you talk about the the drugs in prison, relating back not to get off the top subject at all, but just going back to the C.J. Smith era, issue that we were talking about was, I believe it was his mother that was convicted or caught smuggling in marijuana to was it his was it his dad or stepdad or somebody in prison. That uh, So, I mean, obviously, you know, drugs run pretty rampant in in the correctional facility because that's one of the felony – or I think it was a felony charge she was actually facing or had faced. So, I mean,
3: you know, it's – They're even using drones now. (laughs) They're even using drones to smuggle it in now. I didn't know that.
1: (laughs) I, I guess when you have all the time in the world to sit and think about things, you will come up with anything. Uh, you know, watching lockup and stuff on TV. You see people fishing, throwing little lines to, to send these little notes back and forth. I've even seen them uh, empty out their toilets so that they can talk through the pipes and different things like that. So,
3: <laughs> I, and that yeah. works. <laughs> really? Yeah, that's, it does.
1: That's incredible.
3: That's yeah, incredible. The, the plumbing plumbing is a lot easier to yell through than a concrete wall.
1: Now... You know, while, while you were incarcerated for the, those 27 years, I mean, there had to be certain nights where, you know, no one was sleeping. Everybody was up screaming and, I mean, just all sorts of insanity. Every noise night. going. How did you deal with that? How did you deal with that on a daily basis for 27 years and not lose your mind?
3: Uh, noise is is if if somebody was going to ask me what's the, the number one thing that you hated about prison, I'd say noise. Yes. Uh, you have to, you have to learn to pull your world in. Your world is, is your, your, your bed, your locker box, your little area there. There's no telling what might be going on right next to you. And you better not be trying to pay much, too much attention to it. Um, it you just kind of got to turn every, tune everything out. Uh, another thing is, and this is this is humorous to me, is FM radios. Uh, they sell radios with headphones, and and I always had a radio with headphones, um, even when FM radios were illegal. I don't think FM you could have anything but an AM radio <laughs> until until like uh, nineteen ninety three or something.
1: So that that's what you used to uh, basically quiet down everything that was
3: going on was your headphones. I I put my headphones on and I'd read a book. Reading is was was my escape. I I uh, I read. I don't know how many thousands of books that's all I did that i would read listen I, I quit school after the eighth grade uh, I I i di- d I didn't even really they they had to pass me through the ninth grade but but so I got a ninth grade education uh, but I've got a published book you know got you, that, got and, you. and how that happened was reading and that's all i did yeah read
1: that that braille program that you worked with with the uh Arkansas school of the blind. Are you still associated with them? Are you still working with them?
3: No no I'm not. Uh that was that was a very, very interesting, very formative time in my life. Uh I I just left the Cummins unit and and I was trying to I was trying to turn over a new leaf uh at at Cummins and I was trying to, to work my way up to get a trustee status and they wouldn't ever they wouldn't ever consider that because every time that they looked at me they saw the old long-haired bill allen that was always giving them trouble that was always in the hole that was always selling drugs and 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 booking and into everything and so they sent me to wrightsville and they put me in this braille project as fortune would have it the clerk in that project and the supervisor, the free will supervisor, who was also the classification officer at that unit, were at odds ends when I arrived. And the supervisor immediately made me the clerk of the program, which made me responsible for all the books that we had to transcribe for the Arkansas School for the Blind. I was responsible for for keeping thirteen computers operating and thirteen inmates working. Um and this was just all kind of dropped in my lap. I didn't know anything about computers. I didn't know anything about Braille. I I'd never tried to be a leader in, in anything in my life. And these were these were very formative years for me and, and very impactful. Yeah, that, I, that, that yeah that, definitely, did to uh, answer your question? Because I, 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 I don't think I did. Is no, I'm not uh, associated with them. Uh, I have communication with a, a gentleman named Bob Brasher, who who I used to coordinate with with Arkansas School for the Blind, but he's up in Kentucky now, working for the publishers, uh, uh, for the blind or some something like that, some some other organization. Uh no I have not I have not done anything with that since I left Wrightsville.
1: Is that is that something that you would consider doing again if you had the opportunity?
3: Uh maybe. You you know the, I could I could do some transcribing. Um it it would it was I I know I'd have to do some brushing up. It's like learning a whole new language. Um Absolutely. It's 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 very interesting. I mean, I can I can still read it, and I, I, I know I I can. I was showing my grandson some Braille in in uh, uh, an elevator that, a few weeks ago, explaining to him about the letters and the numbers and stuff.
1: Well, the cool thing about the internet today is that you can actually freelance. You know, all the information that you're doing, kind of like what we're doing with the show now. So I, I would definitely encourage, you know, you looking into that, trying to freelance and get as much, you know, of your experience out there as possible, you know, to uh to go about that way. Uh definitely through the internet. I think that would be an amazing opportunity for you. You know, Braille
3: Braille really puts a, a, a different perspective in things. Uh back we we used to make Christmas cards for the kids at the Arkansas School for the Blind. Uh, The guys at the Braille Project would all get together, and we'd design these Christmas cards and and send them to the the blind children there at the school. And every year, the Christmas, the teachers would come down, and they'd bring us some extra food and and stuff for the Braille inmates to thank us for doing their books and so forth. And so I handed one of the teachers one of the Christmas cards that we'd made for the children. And this teacher in his earlier life had been able to see And he was Rubbing his hands over the front Of the Christmas card And the Christmas card had a braille representation Of a candy cane On the front of it And it said Merry Christmas In, in letters and, and I could see the teacher Rubbing his hands over this candy cane And he had a confused look on his face And I was thinking oh, He can't tell that that's a candy cane and then all of a sudden, I saw the light come on in, in, his, in his head, and when he recognized what he was feeling there, what the picture was, and he, he told me, he says, Bill, this is really good, except one thing. Blind children don't realize that a candy cane has a stripe on it. In this braille oh, image oh, wow. of the candy cane, we'd done a stripe with, represented by raised dots. And Ooh, that was you. what was throwing that teacher off. Uh, I see what you said. on the candy cane. Yeah. Another, another that... good example of perspective is uh, one time they asked a, a, a blind child, says, can you draw a picture of a T-shirt on a chalkboard? And the child said, certainly. And he went up to the chalkboard and he drew a medium-sized hole, two small holes, and a larger hole. Circles, <laughs> nice on the chalkboard,
2: because
3: that's that's what his t-shirt represented to him. Wow, that's amazing. So, anyways, that's cool. Yeah, and that's, so so in trying cool. trying to represent things, and, and and one of the things that we did in the Braille project that I was that I that I was very instrumental in because I was interested in. I'd mentioned before it was images. Oh. Uh, I, I'm very interested in images, and and one of the 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 we, when I first started in the project, one of the transcriber's notes that we put in the front of every book was all maps, charts, graphs, and images have been removed. I didn't like that. I thought that the blind children had, had just as much needed the images just as much as a sighted child did. And so we came, I became very involved in learning how to do tactile graphing. Uh, of, which is presenting images in raised lines and dots and and so forth, and and uh, started putting all the graphs, charts, maps, pictures that were in all the textbooks and in the students' books.
1: I think that's something interesting you could do with your drone footage too. That that would be really amazing. Yeah.
2: So so Bill, when you first we we got about six more minutes before we take the, the break. But so you you first enter, uh, and Michael wanted me to uh, relay this. You So you first enter the ADC, which is the Arkansas Department of Corrections, for those that aren't familiar with that. Um, you know, obviously you – was there – two? It was kind of a two-part question. Before you got caught, was there you – I know obviously the high of the drugs, but was there a high in your for, – for you – to have accomplished all this, uh, the robberies and whatnot and the travel back and forth, back and forth without being caught. And then when you get to prison uh, in the ADC, was there a a point in time that you thought, you know, obviously it was not until later that you say that you turned your mentality and your life around, but had you thought about attempting possible escape at all, or was that even a possibility in, in your attitude in prison? Uh, when you first got there. Uh,
3: my 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 whole focus and in when initially going to prison was first to learn the law. Uh, I did much of my own appeals, uh, and basically all of my own appeals, all the way up to the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals, and to get healthy and and to run, and so I used to go out in the yard. And run and run and run. And my whole theory was that when I hit that fence, I was going to be outside their perimeter when they started looking for me. Because what they do is they figure out how long you've been gone, how far, what kind of distance you could have covered in that amount of time. They send everybody out to that distance and then start working in. And I was going to be outside that perimeter because I could run so fast and run so far. And so I got to where I could run every day. And I could run all day if I wanted to. And uh, because once my appeals were exhausted, I'm gone. They're they going to have to shoot me off the fence because I'm just not going to sit there and die. And uh, that was, I'd I made up my mind. Well, when I went to Wrightsville and got involved in the Braille Project and started making some changes and stuff, um, my family started coming back around to me. They they started hearing some different things in my letters, and 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 so they started coming to visit me. And I met my nieces and my nephews. They were all very young, and I wrote a book for them while I was in the Braille Project called The Cure of the Land. It's never been published, but it was a it was a story about them, and finding their way into a magical land and it was ruled by a a little boy and they find him crying and come to find out he's crying because this wicked witch Mary Jane and her twin troll henchmen crack and smack were smuggling powders and smoke across the border and everybody was getting messed up. But anyway, I wrote this book and used all my little nieces as characters in, in the book. And gave the book to him one Christmas And it wasn't too long after that That 8th Circuit Court of Appeals denied my appeal And it was time for Bill to go It was time for me to, to, to put my plan into effect I was, I was going to run And I got to thinking about those little girls And their mommy Whatever happened to Uncle Bill and I couldn't do it. I just I I trashed that plan and decided I could maybe I could live and work something out.
1: Well that was definitely a part of your book that that, that frustrated me uh greatly was all the appeals processes that you went through and trying to get into the IBC program and you know, especially when you made that deal with that one person that was a part of the Braille project and he told you that you could do <laughs> Two years, and then he would help you get into the IBC, and then he just turned around and lied to you. That was just heartbreaking. At that point, I was just like, "Oh, this guy can't catch a break."
3: Yeah, I, I was, it was, it was pretty hard pill to swallow. Ultimately, led to my downfall at Wrightsville.
2: Well, Lisa, do you have anything real quick before we go to break that you'd like to discuss with Bill?
0: Well, no, uh, not really. It is uh, it is such a fascinating book. But one of the things that I loved was the five new words, where you got the dictionary and you started learning and, and being <laughs> quick on new words. I thought that was brilliant.
3: I uh, still have the I've dictionary. Been,
0: I, I know I read that, and there's not a lot of words in it that don't have your little dots by them. Yeah. I think that's. Hey. Uh I I've been using a dictionary since I was five.
3: You you know what the so. problem with that is, it, with my technique, and and anybody can tell this when when you're talking to me. Uh, I don't use a lot of big words. When when I'm writing, I use a lot of big words because I know the words, but I don't know what they sound like because I've never sat yeah. there and used them in conversation and or heard anybody use them. Uh, I, I didn't have a a, a a button to click on so that, that so a speaker would play that word out for right. me. Uh, and and I didn't have much schooling, and so all those little accent marks and all that stuff didn't help me much.
0: <laughs> right. My, my father was an engineer, and my mother was a uh, legal secretary. And they were not afraid to use big words in front of the children. <laughs> so. I understand.
1: Well, I was going to say that Albert Einstein used to try to explain all the physics that he had come up with, all the theories of relativity and everything so that a three-year-old could understand it. So, uh, using big words isn't always the best thing in the world. If you can get a three-year-old to understand it, then you've done an excellent job in my opinion.
3: I agree.
2: Well, Sean, let's, uh, we're going to take a small break real quick, pay some bills per se. Um, we will be right back. You're listening to the American Idiots podcast with our special guest, Bill Allen. We'll be back in just a minute. Are you looking for the best deals for your vaping needs and accessories? Then check out the guys at Sub-Own Vapor. With daily specials on a wide selection of mods and juices, they will surely become your one-stop shop. Ray and the guys at Sub-Own Vapors located at 6929 JFK Boulevard, Suite C in North Rock, Arkansas. Want to see you? Join them on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. But more importantly, visit the store or call 501-392-6487. Sub-Own Vapors. Vape it like you built it. Up to date with Talk Radio forty nine has never been any easier. Go to Facebook, look up Talk Radio forty nine. If there's a particular show that you were interested in, check it out. American Idiots Podcast, Behind the Curtain, and many more. Also hit us up on Twitter. That's Talk Radio underscore forty nine on Twitter. Again, staying connected, it's all up to you. It's social media and talk radio forty nine working to keep you connected.
3: i pick up half, hey made it. I'm the
2: world's greatest. And I'm that little bit of hope to my back together. And this is your Sports Minute brought to you by Mike and Mike. Jaguars 45, Steelers 42, the Patriots 35-14 over the Tennessee Titans, while the Eagles outlasted the Falcons 15-10, and the Vikings pulled off a miracle, beating the Saints 29-24. And that's been... Your Sports Minute brought to you by Mike and Mike. To recap all the action, to break it down, that's what Mike Pettis and Michael Carnahan do on the Mike and Mike Show. And it comes to you Wednesday nights at 8 p.m. Central Standard Time only on your fun and game station, Talk Radio 49. And we are back, ladies and gentlemen. Our guest tonight here on the American Idiots podcast, is uh mr bill allen he is the author of the book speed trap 80 robberies in 50 years if you've listened to the first hour of this show totally life-changing uh in a lot of ways from what i've heard so far i mean absolutely just like you know I, i can't i mean goosebumps on a lot of the stuff that he has talked about uh he's talked about his nieces uh And, you know, the inevitable plan for the escape from his uh, prison sentence uh, totally can relate in a sense to that because of my nephew uh, having been born two years ago. Totally. uh, My outlook and perspective on things that I wanted to accomplish has been affected by his birth. And and that's just a nephew. Uh, Obviously, he's got a grandson. Uh, We're going to talk more about some of the personal stuff with Bill in this next hour. Uh, But without any further ado, let's go ahead and bring Lisa, Sean, and Mr. Bill Allen back on to the show. Of course, we are live from the sub Own Vapor Studios here in Northwood Rock, Arkansas. If you're listening in the area right now, please be careful. All along the south As a winter storm advisory has been issued. There's a a couple of flurries out there. So if you have to travel, please, 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 please be careful uh, wherever you may travel. But... Bill, I, I um uh, listening to your first hour obviously, you know, and, and I thought a lot about it because I you, you wrote something in this book uh that you gave me and it's been weird. Like I've thought about this and I've thought about this a lot and Sean and Lisa I've thought about you know, Bill Bill signed the book for me and it says to to Brad who saw something and it's it's crazy like to, to put that in perspective because I don't have the same issues that Bill dealt with, but there's been things that in, in my own personal life within the last few days of having met with Bill and doing this show and having read what he's read, that has changed a couple of perspectives for me. And one is the, is the quick to judge because, you know, in my honest opinion, I was instantly looking for in the CJ Smith kid, a reason to to for this to have happened and i can't justify a reason because in the same vein that that i go well just like bill said you know we were all there at one time obviously i mean i had been i'm fortunate enough to have 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 never had to uh face any prison time but i've done a few things in my lifetime that could have definitely got me there all in search of, of of like bill said in that interview with the lions club to get high because at some point, you have to pay the bill for what you do. And fortunately enough, mine, uh, I was very fortunate. But in CJ's case, uh, Bill, I need to, I want to ask you, have you thought about it all? Like, I don't know, uh, in correlation with your life, and maybe you can elaborate some on that. Um, but in CJ's life, you know, there was a post, another post on Facebook about a, a gentleman that kind of used the I call it, you know, word crafting. He basically said that there's a 13 year old kid out there that needs a place to go, his mom and them whatever. um, And if he stays in this environment, then he is going to things aren't going to look up for him. Um, Do is there is there anything? I know me and you have talked about it. Is there any way possible that we can prevent some of this stuff from occurring in the future?
3: I you know the answer to that is is so involved and, and comprehensive that it, it's families are breaking down. The family units are, are not as strong as they used to be. When the family breaks down, then society's going to have to step in and and do something uh there's an old saying it takes a village to raise a child um i don't know how this is how you know we can we can either we can either do something about what's going on in society with the children that are being raised and are not being raised uh not being taught the fundamental things not being taught not to carry guns when they're 17 years old um uh, That we can either we can either sit around on the boundaries and be ready to pounce when somebody misbehaves, or maybe we can get involved a lot earlier and 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 try to keep the that behavior from ever happening because they just learn different, right? Uh, I, I I don't I don't you know and that's that's going to take such an involved undertaking from so much of the community not just the churches and 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 the different programs around but it, i mean people it's it's impacting everybody crime uh, drugs uh all of this is impacting everybody and and you know are we just going to sit around on the boundaries and wait for somebody to screw up and then and make sure we have a good strong force to pounce and 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 a lot of prisons to lock them up or or are we going to do something about it
2: you're right and i want to ask and sean and and lisa chime in respectively but bill i wanted to ask you first um you know methamphetamine speed obviously very very addictive uh addictive substance i'm missing teeth because of it um but you know it wasn't and it, it will grab you i mean bill's it will grab a hold of you, and it will not let go until it wants to let go, or it puts you under. But Bill, I wanted to ask you: uh, pop culture today, the movies, the um, the the music videos, the the rappers, and and uh, even the metal bands, and 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 hip hop, uh, R and B, pop music, whatever you got. Um, I, I go back to, and then the way, like the the biggest show that won the most awards, Breaking Bad, about a. Uh, high school uh, chemistry teacher uh, who goes rogue and starts developing math, and then you see the money he makes and how glorified it is. Do you see that as being, an, I mean, obviously, to me, it's it's a no-brainer, but, but in your honest opinion, with the youth growing up today, with all that, do you see shows like Breaking Bad where they're glorifying this evil, evil drug and how it can make you all this money and this, that, and the other, and it and, then they go, and it makes it so easy looking to do. Obviously, it can't be as easy to say, especially today's day and time. But, I mean, is is that part of the downfall of, of of society today is how we glorify some of these shows and these artists and the allure of, of easy money and, and not having to work and as hard as, you know, you used to and, and just. Because I noticed there was a lot of stuff being said about CJ's Facebook page and how he'd hold up money in, in front of the car and 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 all the glorification that, that came from what seems to be a failing pop culture.
3: Well, you know, certainly I think that plays a part in it. I I uh, I've got I've got a rather uh, strange opinion on on drugs and the legality of drugs and and all this is going to kind of play into your question in that if if all drugs were legal and somebody just wanted to go and get it, then they could just go down to the pharmacy and 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 get buy whatever prescription that they wanted, then the heroin addict. That has a five hundred dollars a day heroin habit right now because he's having to go out and buy his heroin from a dealer that's charging these astronomical prices. Uh, could go down to the pharmacy and get him get him a couple of Dilata tablets for for ten dollars and satisfy his addiction for the day for ten dollars. Uh, yeah, he might he might go out and steal ten dollars to get his next day's fix. But that's all he's got to steal is ten dollars. He doesn't have to steal five hundred dollars. And if we took all the money that we spend on locking people up, on prosecuting people, and everything from drugs, from the from the task force that are involved in and, and searching for them, and, and all the court systems and 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 everything else, if we took all that money and spent that money on education, on on. The kids and show them the reality of what drug abuse is and what the results is then then I think we could get on the other side of this uh, so the the shows and stuff that that glorify the the use and and the lifestyle like that it may be that way briefly. For, for a very brief span, but that is followed by years of of dirt and filth and ugliness and and decay and and backstabbing and hate that that is not depicted in those movies. That is the reality of drug abuse. We need to start brainwashing our kids if that's what it takes that that this is this is a this is a bad way to go. And then let them make their own decisions about what they're gonna do. So that's time to, to enforce it. And I'm certainly not an advocate for drug use.
2: Absolutely. No, I I mean, I I'm saying, education
3: has some education. really good points. Yeah, I think you've
1: hit some really good points with that. Um again, uh I I, I fall way to the left of everyone else's uh, arguments on this and uh, i believe all drugs should be legalized i think that if that were to happen the prices would go down people would be able to do what they want the people that are going to overdose and ruin their lives that's going to happen anyway but if you look at europe and you look at the example that they have shown americans on how to deal with drug abuse and different things like that they've legalized drugs they've done things differently Um, They're closing prisons. They're, you know, taking care of addiction instead of incarcerating people. They look at things in a different perspective than we do, where we are just about punishment. We're not about rehabilitation here in America. And that's where we need to focus. You know, when you look at all the problems that you've brought up tonight, um, there are solutions to all these problems. And we need to look at the solutions In very simplistic ways to take care of these things, the fact that we try to complicate it and accuse people and argue back and forth, those things don't do anything at all. It's the simple things that people have done to actually take care of these problems that are working in other societies that we need to look at. By example, You know, we need to humble ourselves as Americans and say, hey, maybe we're not the best at everything. There are other countries doing things better than we are. They're closing prisons. They're eliminating addiction. They're doing things that are actually helping people. If we could just humble ourselves and do the exact same thing and follow the example of people that have done things better,
3: I think it would work out a lot better for us. You, you know, the 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 course of rehabilitation is, is what I like to tell people that are involved. In, in drugs, is they are never going to get off those drugs until they reach the point where they've lost enough. Everybody's got everybody's got a different level of what enough is. You might have a 16-year-old kid. His dad goes out and buys him a brand-new car on his birthday. And he's out with his buddies at night getting high, drinking. Wham! They have a wreck. Cars totaled. Nobody's hurt, but the cars totaled. Dad takes the son down to the junkyard the next day and shows him his birthday present. He says, there's your birthday present. I hope you enjoyed it. And that kid looks at his car and he says, never again. I'll never do that again. And he lost enough. He lost his new car. And that. And he never does it again. He never uses drugs ever again in his life. Then you got some idiots like me that basically have to spend most of their life in prison Before I ever reached that point Where I'd lost enough And and The fact of the matter is In all the people That I've dealt with And all the people that I've known That have gone to prison For drug abuse I only know a handful of them That are still drug free um, There's There's the chances are that you're going to go back to using and you're going to go back to prison. Uh, So doing is not working and it's never going to work. And the cost of doing it this way, trying to fix somebody that's broken after the fact is, is, is never going to work. You just have a few exceptions like, me, I'm just an exception. I, and and the only thing only thing that makes me an exception was I was fortunate enough that I got to spend 27 years in prison to grow up. So many so many people don't get that opportunity, and and they keep getting out, and then it ends up killing them. Now, if they had had
1: a better program though, that would have taught you about addiction and everything. Uh, at a younger age, do you think you would have continued to do that?
3: Well, you know, this is the thing, and and and, and I've thought I've thought about this you know, a lot in my life because you know I was raised in a good upper middle class family. I was, I was raised up in Lakewood, and North Little Rock, and my, you know I, my older brother was a, was a preacher. My sister was a, worked for this church, and 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 my my brother followed my my dad into life insurance, and and they they all. Doing well uh, I on the other hand Can remember Watching a movie In the 6th grade Called Reefer Madness And that movie made A pretty good impact on me Because they were pe- there were people jumping off buildings They were smoking pot and they were jumping off Buildings and, and stuff And seeing all this crazy stuff And I thought well I, I'll never do that But w- when I did eventually try marijuana and it didn't make me want to think I could fly or jump off a building or, or, and I didn't see any kind of crazy hallucinations and stuff. I just thought that movie was a bunch of bull so that everything that they were telling me about drugs was a bunch of bull. And so I just didn't pay any attention to it. I think that is a
1: mistake. I think that is a mistake that the other side does try to portray uh, as far as anything in our social capacity to understand it's fear mongering, they try to put that out there. You know, marijuana is a gateway drug; it'll destroy you. Um, and, and, and like that that film that you talked about, I've watched that film, and I laugh my ass off at it because it just—it's <laughs> it's not reality. Yeah. It's, it's
0: it is. It's like,
1: absolutely insane.
0: It's from like the 30s. Yeah, I
3: mean, it, it is. It's very but you know, old, 30s the, or 40s. But so the reality
0: their their attempt.
3: the reality but, of drug abuse yeah. if if we could if we could show our children that that's that's impactful that will make yeah. some changes,
0: now, I would bill, agree with that, bill have you ever yes. thought about uh, going out to high schools and talking with high school and maybe middle school kids? About addiction and about your story and the road that the path that it led you down.
3: Yes, I have, and I've 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 gone to to uh, uh, Sylvan Hills High School. I've gone to several high schools down in the Camden area with the sheriff down there. Um, I've, you know, I kids kids are 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 my that's really where my heart is you know right. i i i want i want to see the kids there's was, there's was, when i was a, a trustee on 309 uh the place that i slept was was uh a different area of the jail and and for me to go from the place that i slept to go to where i worked up in the front offices uh of the sheriff's department i had to pass by this stairwell where they handcuffed juveniles and and would leave them sitting in the stairwell in these chairs waiting on the juvenile authorities to come pick them up and I'd have to walk by these juveniles three or four times a day and it was always yeah. you know different kids different days and and I'd always make it a point to stop and start talking to them and and telling them about that that you know that Maybe the whole reason that I spent my life in prison all those years was so that I would be here right now to talk to them, and wonder if I was just too busy to stop you know the whole reason that everything had happened to me in my entire life was to bring me to this moment so that I could tell him something that may stop him from going down the path that he's going and change his life and but i'm too busy and 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 i don't stop and i don't talk to him then my whole life's been lived in vain for nothing you know i missed my opportunity so i didn't miss any opportunities i've i've always spoken to any group that's ever invited me Uh, i've tried to get into high schools it's a little bit difficult um they're they're pretty picky
0: Yeah,
1: there are there are programs online that you can look at it uh, as far as public speaking with your background. I think you would qualify for that. And definitely uh, they'll pay you for each public speaking that you do. And uh, you can go from New York to Hawaii and back and actually just, you know, sustain a a life that way. Um, I would uh, I'm going to I'm going to send you some links on your page on on those that I've seen. Uh, I think they would be very interested in your story. Okay,
3: sure. I'm interested. Yeah, I I, I wrote, I wrote the book for a reason. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to tell my story. Uh, Being
1: a published author gives you, you know, an advantage over a lot of people that haven't even done that.
3: I I got fortunate, that's for sure. Um, It's unfortunate how.
0: People think it's not going
3: to happen to me. Oh, it. You know, there's there was a friend you, that there was a friend that I that I met uh, after my release from prison, and it was it was a girl. She was a friend of a friend of mine, and I'd run into her every now and then. And then one day I got word that she was starting to do methamphetamine. And I went and saw her, and I told her, I said, you cannot handle this. This is going to get you. And and she looked at me, and she says, Bill, you just really, really don't know me. This this stuff is not going to get me. And I looked at her, and I told her, I said, no, I don't really know you that well, but I know that stuff that well. The next time I saw her, she'd lost over 100 pounds and and was homeless.
0: Yeah.
2: Well, I tell you, Bill, uh, going, listening to your story so far and uh, that experience, I don't know if you're familiar with the country artist Jamie Johnson, but he does that song, uh, High Cost of Living. (laughs) No, I'm not familiar with it. I I tell you right now, I mean, I don't know if you would appreciate it or not, but it's it's a really, uh, it just, it talks about, uh, you know him and it's a true life story i mean it's another he wrote the song about himself you know he was a former military guy and he got mixed up with drugs and stuff lost his wife and and um a bunch of other stuff and and did a little time and and he comes back out and he just talks about the high cost of living ain't worth the cost of getting high you know and that's the if you get a chance if you want to you can listen to it but i want to go and talk about you know uh you when we started off the show, and you said, uh, "But for the grace of God," and you said that Debbie woke you up, can you talk about her influence in your life uh, then and now?
3: <sighs> you know, Debbie, I I never knew I never knew what I had before. I mean, I I, I knew I had an exceptional woman. She 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 uh stood by my side through some very difficult times uh kept believing in me uh, kept having faith in me and and I kept ruining it at just about every chance that i had uh when we were when we were first married i spent yeah, it was kind of a joke I'd be out for six months and then in for six months and out for maybe ten months and in for a year. Uh she she always had a had a, a furlough for me about every six months or so. And when when I got sentenced to fifty years in prison it broke her heart. It broke my heart but it was over and and I pushed her away and made her told her not to contact me ever again and the way that we have come back together and stuff and her willingness to forgive me to still love me uh has in prison I would I would, I would tell myself how I was going to behave the things that I would do uh how I would act and so forth the the her coming back into my life has sealed all that stuff in so hard, so firmly that, that that I'm not gonna make a misstep. The 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 cost too high, uh, to me. Um I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna follow through with, with all my commitments, all my promises, fulfill my obligations and everything and, and it's all due to this woman, man. Um you know I, I don't know I don't know I don't know what would have happened with me had I gotten out and not had Debbie um that, that's I, people pretty used amazing. to ask me people used to ask me what are you going to do you know because I mean I was I was approaching I, it was looking like I was going to finish this thing up and I was going to I was going to walk out of there one day and and people used to ask me what what, what are you going to do when you get out I said I'm going to buy me a Harley Davidson and I'm going to ride it all over this country. And when when I've ridden everywhere here, I'm going to put it on a boat and I'm going to take it over and go to Europe. I'm going to go ride it over there. And when I get too old to ride it, I'm going to ride it off a cliff. And they'd always say, "Why waste such a good Harley?" But uh, that was that was kind of my plan, you know, because I, I didn't I didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't I didn't know what. Anything was going to be, you know, so her coming back in my life has has made a very, very big difference. Is she there with you right now? She's in the bedroom right now.
1: Well, you definitely need to thank her for all of us that have been listening tonight for uh, making you
3: feel that way.
0: Yeah.
3: Uh, it's She's amazing.
0: Dale, I got to yeah. be honest. Some of the stuff, I mean, I've only read a little bit, but I would have kicked your butt out so fast. Um, that one thing where you'd been off with uh, with one of your friends and uh, on, like, a binge, and then you came home and she asked you what, what you'd been doing, and you turned it around on her like she did something wrong.
3: Yeah, I was good at that.
0: And that was – I mean, I, that, was your, that was your way of dealing with uh, with your conflicted feelings about knowing what you were doing was wrong, but you didn't want to face up to it. And I totally understand that, but I would have kept your butt out. <laughs>
3: I'm,
0: just, I'm just saying. Because <laughs> my mama yes. did not raise, raise me to be a neat, quiet uh, woman.
1: Yeah, I can definitely say when I was reading the book, when I first got into the first three, four chapters, I didn't like you at all. I was like, who is this guy? (laughs) This guy's a scumbag. And then I kept reading it, and then you evolved, you grew, you became a better person, and I couldn't wait to get on the show tonight to actually talk to you and let you know that, you know, I was really impressed with how you turned your life around and everything. I think you've done some really good things.
0: I mean, I've lived with addiction in my family, uh and uh i mean i i very rarely drink because of it so i recognize i recognize some of those things because that's what it does to people it just changes them uh
3: completely you know it, i i never not in anything that i'd ever done in my past do i ever try to defend uh my actions because they're indefensible yeah. I I I was, I was a piece of crap, and I mean, there, there's 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 just no and it and it ch- it changes you, it you know yeah. I, I wasn't raised that way, you know, uh, but
1: but you were still you were still a human but you were still a human being that was suffering and going through addiction, and that's right. the important part is that you finally got to a part where you where you grew. And you evolved past that, and, and you became a better person. And that's the best part about your story is that right. you did that on your own. No one, no one could bring you to that. You had to find that for yourself, and that's that. That's the best part of that story.
0: Yeah, and I and I have to say too that, you know, when you were committing a robbery, you were bluffing because you didn't want to hurt anybody. Uh, which I, you know, really ad, admired. You may have scared them to keep them compliant, but you didn't really ever want to hurt anybody. You apologized to that pharmacist when you accidentally fired the gun, Um, which we don't see a lot in today's society. Because we see a lot of people that don't care if they hurt somebody or not.
3: No, I, I didn't. I I never wanted to hurt anybody Uh, I have fired shots Um, But I've never As far as I know I've never hit anybody Uh, Yeah
0: Well the, the two I've read about The one discharge was Accidental when you were trying to open the door And you thought you had hurt somebody And you were relieved when you hadn't And then you apologized To the gentleman So, uh, and that came through that you didn't want to hurt anybody. You didn't even want to hurt your co. uh, I guess my driver. Your drivers, and you said you would, but you weren't really. So, um, and that was something you know we don't see that because we see a lot of times uh, very brutal. Uh, these types of things when they happen are, are very brutal, and people are very seriously hurt or killed but again it's the I just wanted
3: my drugs yeah. right. I just wanted my drugs yeah. yeah and you and and you get that through the book that you're uh,
1: you're talking about the the addiction had control of you, but you still had a conscience enough not to want to harm anybody else. And that 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 came through in the book very clearly. Oh
0: yeah, definitely.
2: And the the interesting thing here too, just before we get any further, is I was actually here on Amazon reading this and, and I think the best way Sean and, and Lisa and even Bill to describe this book is uh there are no magical answers within the pages of Speed Trap, but it is a book of hope. It tells of how deeply addicted to drugs um, I was, and this is actually from your words, Bill, and reveals that I am no one special. If I can get off the stuff, anybody can. Um, you know, and and, and I want to say before we again we go any further, you know, Bill, thank you for taking the time this evening to do this interview. And uh, you know we're in the same city, so I would like to keep in contact. And uh, maybe you can show me how to use a drone, and maybe I can hopefully learn a little bit from you before I <laughs> drop my life savings <laughs> on replacing about a hundred of them. But, uh, um, Sean, or, or actually Lisa, would you want to? I'm, I'm Bill's pretty candid guy, so I'm, I'm sure he probably has no problem answering the questions that you have. So. Yeah, sure. At least I, I say go ahead and ask you if you want.
0: Now you were in Cummins and Barner, or or just Cummins.
3: Cummins. I never did any time in Barner.
0: Did you? Uh, did you ever come across Jason and Baldwin and Jesse Miss Kelly?
3: No, huh? No, I never did. Okay. Uh, I was just- I knew. Uh, I knew one guy that was affiliated with them. Uh-huh. Um, I can't I can't recall his name right now, uh at Wrightsville. Um but he was he was also sentenced in that case.
0: Was that actually I'm
3: not I'm I'm not really sure. This is kinda okay. foggy. Remember remember now the proceeds of eighty pharmacies have gone through this body and that, okay. this brain. Apple
0: yeah. <laughs> well, Apples was on death row, so I yeah, think he no, at, I never at. Uh, I think he might have been at Varner or Cummins for a while, but he was on death row. No. So it would only be probably Jason my, my
3: yeah. probably my most most notorious friend in prison was uh, Johnny Uh and this it, it goes back a ways. He was convicted as uh, the Southwest Little Rock rapist.
0: Oh, okay. Anybody
3: remember that? No. I'm not local to
0: Little Rock. Okay. I'm going
3: well, to I was a, before my I, time I, Yeah, it was it was back in back in the seven late seventies. Uh, I was also in, in prison with uh, uh what was our uh, um Secretary of State, Bill McEwen. And and I got to show b I got to show Bill McEwen extradition warrant with his signature on it for me. <laughs> the governor's extradition warrant with his Secretary of State signature on it and Governor Bill Clinton's signature on it, requesting my extradition nice. to Arkansas.
0: <laughs>
3: that's that's hilarious.
1: <laughs> well, definitely one thing about the book that I want to say that I, I enjoyed a lot was the brutal honesty in the book. You don't hold anything back. You're extremely honest, and I appreciate that 100%. And I hope that anybody that reads the book will see that as well.
3: You know, one thing that that I always felt like the book was, was lacking was the total despair that I felt for the first five, six, seven years that I was in prison. The when when nothing mattered. If 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 they killed me then I was I, I just didn't have to complete my sentence. Uh I, I I never did really go into just how all felt to become that person that doesn't care if he lives or dies or or or. It,
0: it. I I have to say it it came through with me especially when you when you're recounting when you initially arrived and you're at the diagnostic unit. And you found out that essentially you were, uh, you know, be, you've been sentenced under the, I guess it's like the three, third, three strikes you're out type legislation. I, I, that did come through because you were a little mouthy with the guards, and you know, what are they going to do to me? So it came through to me. Okay. It, it hey, did Bill. Come
3: through uh, to me. Yes.
2: I, I was just going to try, and I don't know if Lisa even thought about it or maybe Sean hasn't thought about it, but I know that um, that was, I don't remember when, obviously Reagan's presidency was in the 80s, but uh, did you fall under any kind of sentencing and or charge guidelines in the war on drugs that that uh, was initiated around the Reagan administration?
3: No. Uh-uh no all my charges dealt with aggravated robbery uh rather than than, than just particularly drug charges um they they you know the catching me in possession of any type of a uh of of drug didn't even happen you know all my charges were just aggravated robbery violent charges
2: okay. and um and and also Real quick, because uh, like I said, I, I I am. I this is a book that I will read, especially after this show. I was going to read it anyway. But what, um, you you talked about the feds coming in and and everything. What finally led the police to positively like you were the one that they were looking for?
3: Oh, uh, <laughs> a string of mistakes. Uh, when 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 I left. Dallas, Texas, to come up to Little Rock just prior to doing this robbery in Arkansas. I uh, I wasn't coming up to do a robbery. I was coming up to collect some money somebody owed me. And that person uh, ended up hiding from me and I couldn't find them. And just kind of, at the spur of the moment, decided to rob a, a, a pharmacy up here. So I I used my own motorcycle that I'd ridden up from from Dallas, Texas, and when I had a, a a girl that was waiting for me at a at a at a place, and she was gonna she was gonna switch. I was gonna uh give her the drugs and the gun and everything from the robbery, and she was gonna take that in her vehicle. And I was going to ride my motorcycle home. I was going to change uh, the shirt that I had on and ride my motorcycle home.
0: <clears throat>
3: well, when I was doing the robbery, somebody came outside and saw my getaway vehicle. And I started leaving faster than I expected. And I had my helmet covering up my tail plate. It was stuffed down over my tail light of my bike. And my helmet bounced off when I was driving out of the parking lot and started rolling in the direction of the people that were coming out of the pharmacy pointing at me and and saying something. And I decided that I better just get out of there. And I was up in Conway, Arkansas, on a motorcycle when they had helmet laws in Arkansas. And so I got to the place where I was meeting my uh, friend and I didn't have a helmet I couldn't ride that motorcycle home. And so I put that motorcycle down at center stand and left it in the parking lot and jumped in the car with my friend and left my motorcycle there in the the parking lot. Motorcycle that was registered to me. Uh, Police found it, traced the bike, started looking for me, found the helmet, got a fingerprint off of it. It was me.
2: It's almost, uh, and do you look back on that? I mean, obviously, you, you probably look back and you probably think, think as in, you know, you're I'm sure you're probably glad that that, that did happen because no telling where you would be had I mean, I don't know. Do you think it would have been different had you not gotten caught? Uh, have you ever thought about your life? Has you been able to get away with all of this and never been caught, or? Or anything of that nature
3: no that 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 was never even a possibility i was on a one-way track and i knew it i knew it that's why when the police came in the in the in the room that night to arrest me i was going for my gun i was on i was on a one-way track this this could only end one way and that was with me dying that's the only way i thought of it that's how it's going to happen You know, I, and I've I've mentioned this earlier that you, that you work yourself up to this. You know that you're telling yourself all the time when 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 it comes down, this is where how you're going to react.
0: Well, we're glad
1: that that didn't happen because we
3: wouldn't have this amazing story you talk about tonight. <laughs> Definitely.
0: Exactly. Yeah,
3: you know, I'm 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 glad. You know, I have no regrets. I really don't. I mean, yeah. If if I was just going to paint a, a a nice, real pretty picture and stuff, I'd I'd I could dream about what I, what would happen if I'd never gotten involved in drugs and and so forth. You know, maybe what I could have become or who I could have been. But uh, with the way things have worked out, I have no regrets. Um. I wish I hadn't hurt some of the people that I hurt, but everything's worked out just the way it's supposed to. Well,
1: as Jimmy Buffett said, you've had a good life all the way, right?
3: <laughs> Absolutely. So it was pretty tough, but I, w- I wouldn't change any of it. It's it's made me who I am today. And and Absolutely, I like myself yeah. now.
2: And i tell you right now, I mean, Bill, I you know, haven't really known you for the past three or four days uh, in our interaction with social media, and obviously, Last hour and or well, forty five minutes, I want to again say that uh, I'm I'm so happy for you that you were able to turn things around and and uh, you know our thought my thoughts and prayers out to Debbie as well. I mean, truly an angel on earth to be able to deal with some of the stuff that you talked about that you did uh, to her, or in, in her and her in all of this and to stand by you and and what I was I was fortunate enough to meet. Her the other day briefly when we met at the lake house and a very very nice woman uh, I could gather and obviously what you're saying so congratulations to the two of y'all and you know many years of uh, happiness uh, hopefully to you uh, from here on out Bill I mean I really like I said I appreciate I can't tell you enough how much I appreciate you coming on and and sharing your story because a lot of people would. Maybe try to cover some of this up. And for it speaks a lot about, and Ashana. at least I think it speaks a lot about character that he would go on a page and that thread did somewhat turn kind of, uh, uh to say the least, uh, about his story. Um, but to have no inhibition about sharing his story and posting that on social media where anyone and everyone can get a hold of it and criticize it because things are Everywhere I mean, So my heart out to you Bill and, and if there's anything that I can ever help you with uh, Feel free to hit me up on Facebook and Or whatever And uh, man, I'd be more than willing to help you Whatever you need to do uh, Bill that's, And that's straight up
3: I appreciate that You know it, it kind of brings me back to what I was saying About the juveniles that I used to talk to And stuff um, Wonders my whole life has been lived, so that I'd write a post about C.J. Smith and meet you and do this, you know. And I didn't do it because I was too busy, or or not interested enough, or or, or whatever, you know. And it all been for nothing. You understand what yeah. I'm saying? So well, I just I, for, I take just, every opportunity. I take every opportunity that I get because it may be the, you know, that may be the one person that, that I reach. And, and that's all, that's all I've ever said since I turned the corner and started, started looking at life in a different way. If I could just help one person, one person keep from going through what I went through then everything I went through was worthwhile. One person. Yeah, I would definitely say
1: that's worthwhile.
0: Yeah, that's a great outlook. It really is.
3: If if yeah, you I don't mind, I, 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 I'd, I'd like to I'd like to briefly touch on on some 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 things that I think are very important. Uh, to most everybody has been touched by drug abuse, and and if you don't if if you're if you're not uh, abusing drugs yourself then you've got a family member that is or suffer the consequences of it or or whatever. The some of the, the biggest things that go on in a drug abuser's life is the people in his life that keep enabling his behavior. And and that's that's one of the biggest downfalls that anybody in recovery has is that there's always people that come in and we make a we make a terrible mess of our life using the drugs and everything and then we we have these people that come in and clean up all the mess that we make right. and help us get back on our feet and enable us to to go and do that again and and that pattern keeps happening and they keep helping us pull us back up and, and dust us off and get us going again and all we do is just go back and, and do the drugs again until that one time that it kills them. Right. And 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 that's what enabling does. And so I'm I'm a hard guy. And my advice to anybody that is associated with anybody else that's involved in drug abuse is let them make the wreck out of their life as bad as they can as quick as they can and let them pick up the pieces on their own because that's the only way that's ever going to impact them enough that that they're going to stop that behavior
0: or let them deal with the consequences on their own absolutely because I have a family member whose family's approach was let them deal with the consequences they spent some time in jail And they said, okay, I'm not doing this anymore. Because the family wasn't going to bail them out or make excuses or clean up the mess. The family said, no, you're on your own. And it hurts, and it's hard, but you have to do that. It's
3: hard. You have to do it. Enabling is why I lost my job. I used to be the administrator for Hidden Creek, which is a, a transitional house. I did that for two and a half years after my release. And they ended up bringing in a new executive director to run the program. And the lady that they brought in had no experience with inmates. She had no experience with drug abuse. She was a very sweet, nice lady. And she was enabling all our residents to a degree that it was hurting them and yeah. I finally put my foot down about it and was subsequently fired because of it. Uh the programs closed shortly after and I felt a little vindicated about that. Uh very sad. But uh uh, uh enabling is is the the single biggest worst thing that we do for drug addicts.
1: So I'm I'm glad that you definitely touched on that. Because I, I'm sure a lot of people that are enabling people that are in, you know, the addiction or, or you say, alcohol or drugs or whatever, they, they don't realize what they're doing because they're just trying to love that family member they're,
3: or they're trying to love that They're family. trying to help. They're trying to help. They're trying to help. them. they don't realize. Kill them. No, nope, they're killing them. Gotcha. Gotcha. Before I got out, I made a list of things and. I wanted to share this before we closed because I think it's very important. Uh, Debbie printed up this list, and it's been hanging on my bathroom wall for six years. And I call it my daily mantra. And it's a list of ten things that I, that I repeat to myself every day. And like I said, I sent this to her prior to my release and and have looked at it every day since. First one is patience, patience, patience. Number two, make Debbie happy today. Number three, never sacrifice morals for gratification. Number four, my word. Number five, never lie. Number six, follow the right course in all things. Number seven, be dependable. Number eight, accept advice. This is not my world. Number nine, keep my temper. Anger equals failure. Number ten, consider the impact of those I love Those are the rules that I followed when I came out Those are the rules that allowed me to be successful
1: Well if you'll send that to me on Facebook I would greatly appreciate that I would definitely like to apply that to my own life Sure
0: Those are profound
3: Well I've enjoyed this y'all uh, I didn't. I, I was. I tell you, I was. I was a. Uh, I was, kind of, wondering how in the world we were ever going to do two hours on Bill Allen. I thought that was a little bit too much Bill Allen for anybody. Oh, <laughs> it goes by quick.
0: Not at all. <laughs> not at all. No, I do I mean, have. I've... I have figured out uh, why Bill may be a nickname for William. Why is that? Uh, One of the theories is that uh, the name William in German is pronounced Wilhelm. And the V sound was not familiar to non-Germanic ears, so it became Bill or Billy. (laughs) A nickname for Wilhelm is Billy. And then it became Billy. And then it became Bill. Well,
3: that's interesting.
0: <laughs> or just a a, a pronoun uh, consonant swapping. Because, uh, let's see, uh, hard consonants are easier to pronounce than soft ones. So Bill is easier than Will. Became a nickname for Rick with Richard. It's a thought.
3: That's <laughs> Yeah, I've never known.
2: Uh, it is, uh, Lisa is our resident, uh, what do you call it, the Googler. Uh, she is our Google,
3: basically. <laughs>
2: totally I'm so Whatever so we need
0: to so learn. Research is in my blood.
2: Well, Lisa, I'm going to need you to research me a fail-proof method for the greyhound. If you could do that by Sunday, we'd appreciate it. Um.
0: Oh, wait, we're going to a... have to – you're uh, breaking up there, Brad.
2: Uh, can can you hear me? Yeah. If you could uh, research me a nice thoroughbred and or greyhound bedding system, that would be great. I'm going <laughs> to need it to be pretty successful. Oh,
0: dear Lord.
2: <laughs> yeah, share you the link with you me. You
0: know in Kentucky <laughs> that you can take <laughs> for thoroughbreds. Well,
2: Absolutely. Well, Bill, I appreciate you for coming on. I know Lisa and Sean do as well. Uh, thank we're you. We're up against.
1: Thank you, Bill. Thank you for we'll, having me.
2: Oh, uh, thank you for coming on, and and uh, I am so glad that I stumbled upon your post and that we made this happen. Um, definitely, if you have a chance, ladies and gentlemen, get out uh, Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com. Uh, Google the book, Speed Trap, 80 Robberies in 50 Years by Bill Allen. You've heard him tonight talk about his story. want to let everybody know before we go off the air that this is a podcast. Uh, we, we present this as a live show for two hours every Monday night at 8 o'clock, but this does archive, so you can pull this up at your leisure. If you want to listen to it again or if you haven't heard it and you, or you just caught the last tail end of it or whatnot, you can listen to the entire thing. Uh, You can go to blogtalkradio.com slash talkradio49 or 490, whatever the call letters are. Um, uh, By the way, Sean wanted to mention, and it's kind of neat that we did this on today. Um, We had this influential message from Bill, inspirational message. Also, want to send out a big deal, a big thank you, and uh, our uh remembrance to martin luther king on this martin luther king day for the message that he inspired him uh the world with uh in his lifespan again bill thank you so much for coming on um we will be back next monday night eight o'clock central standard time um not sure what we're going to talk about but it's going to be going to be something i hope uh probably try to get back to the roots of what we've been doing which is look ridiculous but uh I'll have to take more classes from you, Michael. There it is, Sean. I did it. My my one Michael it. Knox. Hey, by the way, Sean, Just and Bill, I, I want you to know that Sean has been messaging me, and I'm looking at this picture of you and Kathy here in 1988, and Sean is very pissed that you have better hair than he does.
3: I am I am
1: really pissed about that because I'm I'm too pretty to go to prison and I am the pretty one of the American idiot so your hair really made me jealous in that picture
3: (laughs) yeah I used to have some hair
2: (laughs) well Bill we'll have to get together sometime uh, and and I'll have to learn how to do the drone thing so that I can try to uh, do what you've done with those videos and pictures but For Brad my or excuse me, for myself, Sean Castleberry, Lisa, and our wonderful guest Bill Allen. You've been listening to the American Idiots Podcast Show. We will see you all next week. Same bat time, same bat channel, same bat shit. We will talk to you at eight o'clock Monday. Good night, everybody.